0: Pray as we begin, Lord. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for um, what you have revealed to us in creation and providence, and especially in in your Word and um, what we learn of redemption there. Lord, we ask again that you would strengthen us to uh, be good students of your Word. That you would help us to divide your word carefully and consistently with what you have given to us that we would not change your message or under um, under understand your message uh, but to understand everything that you have revealed to us here lord we uh, ask for your strength by your spirit now here for this hour and that you would be honored in it we pray in jesus name amen All right, well, we were talking about some of the genres here in Scripture, and we started with narrative and have moved now to epistle. And um, the ideas around epistle are are fairly straightforward and easy, you might say, and and that we need to remember it was a letter. And since it was a letter, and since it was written in an era where um, you didn't just randomly put things down like we might do today, and... um, the ability to delete and uh, so forth, we, we tend not to think maybe quite as carefully. We can send a text and send another one a few minutes later or whatever, um, but because things were so different then, uh, letters were much more carefully written, and so therefore we should read it in that way, the way it was intended uh, to be very carefully arranged and uh, one thing leading to the next and. And so forth. So let's, let's read it carefully in that way. And so therefore, um, let's not read a verse or two in isolation. Let's read it in its context. Let's read really the whole letter and, uh, and so forth. Um, and then related to this, um, since this is a letter from, say, Paul to Timothy or you know, Luke to Theophilus or something like that, um, the better we understand the historical context, as much as we are able, the better we'll understand the letter itself. And and so many times in the book of Acts, we have information that helps us understand what the letter is, is saying. Uh, but sometimes it's the other way around. Sometimes the letter helps us understand more of what Luke tells us in Acts. Um, so the more we can understand these things, especially when Luke makes reference to... Certain rulers or kings or uh, dates and times and so forth. Um, the more we can understand this, the the more real the letter becomes, and the better we'll simply understand what God's word is telling to us. So, <clears throat> with this in mind, then um, last time we started trying to do this, and we we started by looking at Acts chapter 17 and read those 10 verses in Paul's ministry there in Thessalonica. And then we turned to 1 Thessalonians and started reading it. So let's turn there again. And we, we had to stop in the middle of it. Um, but I think it might be good for us to start it again um, in chapter 1. We, we left off, I think it was around verse 12 in chapter 2. But let's start back in, in chapter 1, verse 1. And, um, and just read right through the letter And, and see how it all fits together Paul, Sylvanus, and Timothy To the church of the Thessalonians And God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ Grace to you and peace Some of your translations then will say From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ I Remember Sylvanus is the other name for Timothy Or sorry, for Silas uh, Sylvanus is the Latin name Silas, the Aramaic. All right, verse 2. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. As you know a kind of men we were among you for your sake and you became followers of us and of the Lord having received the word in much affliction with joy of the holy spirit so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe for from you the word of the lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia but also in every place your faith toward god has gone out so that we do not need to say anything For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. All right, let me just pause there briefly. Remember, of course, the afflictions there in Thessalonica. Paul was driven out, and uh, Jason was was, uh, arrested, and the Uh, Problems there with the persecution and so forth. And yet, um, Paul uh, elaborates on something Luke doesn't say, and that is how the uh, witness of these new believers in Thessalonica was spreading throughout uh, the known world. Uh, People were hearing about it. Uh, Remember, Paul writes 1 Thessalonians while he's in Corinth on his second missionary journey. And so word had spread even to there and beyond. So, let's continue. Chapter 2. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak. Not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil. For laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, we preached to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believed. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. All right, let me pause here just a moment. Paul obviously is reminding them of his care for them. He was only there for probably no more than eight weeks, and uh, he was driven out, and it sounds like Paul's defending himself a little bit, not for selfish reasons, but so that they would not reject anything that he had taught them. Note the love he emphasizes here, like a father and like a mother. So continuing, verse 13. For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as a word from men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us. And they do not please God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope, or joy, or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy." All right, so let me pause here. You see again how Paul is kind of defending himself here a little bit. He's trying to encourage them of his love for them, and how much he really did want to return. But he couldn't. Satan hindered him, as it says. Whatever it was that was taken as security from Jason in the early church, it had something to do with what Paul says here. So again, this is where you can connect with uh, Acts 17 and verses 1 to 10. Um, Obviously, he's speaking of the opposition to the truth and and so forth. Uh, Chapter 3 now. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. For in fact, we told you before, when we were with you, that we would suffer tribulation, just as, it, uh, just as it happened, and you know. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you, and our labor might be in vain. Now notice the we at the, the beginning there, verse 1, that's Silas and Paul, right? And so they sent Timothy now, if you remember some of the, the context there from Acts, Paul was driven out, Silas and Timothy then come, right? Let's uh, um, look there in chapter 17, and you see it here in Acts, and uh, uh, verse 10, uh, <laughs> Paul and Silas uh, left, I'm sorry, and then Timothy is left behind. It's Paul that went on to Athens, and Silas and Timothy are left in Berea. But Timothy stays there initially, but at some point he, he uh, comes to Berea. And then as we read here, at some point then, he and Silas come to Athens, and now Paul sends uh, Timothy back uh, to Thessalonica to encourage them. All right, so back here then in verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live, if you stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you, for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God? Night and day praying exceedingly... That we may see your faith and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Obviously, we see here that um, Paul is greatly encouraged hearing these words from Timothy. We're going to hear the same thing in a little bit in Acts 20 in regard to Titus and the Corinthians. Um, so, Paul's always encouraged when he receives news. Again, you can't look at a Facebook post or something like that and might be waiting uh, even months to hear news. And so he is very encouraged. All right, now, we come to the, the end of the opening, you might say. Verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Now you see how Paul, in these verses, is basically concluding everything we just read. I mean, I'm wrapping up, if you will, uh, all the personal connections. And my desire to see you and, and, and the news that he's received and so forth. And now he's shifting to the the next part of the book where he is going to exhort them to grow in their love and godliness. And note he mentions about the coming of the Lord Jesus. So these verses transition from all that we've just read now to what he's going to say. So let's now read that. He begins with finally, but there's two chapters to go here. (laughs) But that really, again, is saying, okay, let let me now address these other matters. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more. See how he now develops that idea. Just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, for you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, um, uh, sorry, uh, yep, all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to unclean us, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. Now remember, he's talking to people who... Um, Just a few months ago, were pagans, worshiping the pagan gods in Thessalonica and so on and so forth. And so he is calling them unto holiness here. Um, Verse 9, But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, That you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. That you may walk properly toward those who are outside, that you may lack nothing. All right, see what Paul's doing. He's wanting them to grow, but he tells them you're doing a great job first. And then he says, but let's grow some more uh, in our love. And then notice he um, brings in this idea of, of a quiet life and walking properly. Um, this has to do with the issue in Thessalonica of those who were um, basically sitting around waiting for Christ to come back. Paul had told them that Jesus is going to come back at any time. So some people said, "Okay, why bother going to work then? Hey, why bother cutting the grass or you know doing the laundry or whatever? <laughs> hey, just um, sit around and wait." Paul's like, no, no, no let's, let, let's get busy about the work of godliness and daily things. So now he comes, that's one of the key issues, uh, sanctification, and in particular in relation to Christ's return. And now he brings in this specific issue. Verse 13, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, right? who have died, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. All right, let me pause here now. If you are at all familiar with the basic organization of theology proper, eschatology is usually at the very end. And, And there's a reason for that uh we start with our cosmology and creation and so forth and and then we talk about the fall and promise of redemption and god's grace to israel and the covenant and then christ coming and his fulfillment of the law and his death in our place the need to be godly now as god's people and then we culminate with the ideas of christ returning and the issues centered around that so um You know, if Paul's there for maybe just three weeks, certainly no more than eight weeks, um, and especially if he only talked to them once a week at worship service, uh, you can understand why he maybe didn't get to some of these things before he was driven out. So it's not surprising that here in 1 Thessalonians and again in 2 Thessalonians, he addresses these issues of eschatology. It is probable that he just didn't cover it as much because of his short stay. And so they had some of these questions. Now, we read these verses and we think, um, well, that's you know kind of old news for us. But at that time, they were expecting Jesus to come back even before that generation passed away. And so we're kind of used to the idea, well, when Jesus said those things... Um, some things were fulfilled then, the fall of Jerusalem and so on, but there are other things that are going to be fulfilled later and haven't been fulfilled yet, even from our perspective. But that um, coming of Christ and the day of the Lord being separated by such a gap uh, was, was not really understood by them yet. Uh, we understand that better now where we sit. And so <clears throat> this is what he's addressing and Why? Um, now, if there's any passage in First Thessalonians you would know of, it was probably this one right here. Um, you might not know much from chapter 2 <laughs> or even chapter 1, but this passage is well known. It is used very frequently at funeral services and so forth. So um, uh, these verses are probably uh, somewhat familiar to you, if not very familiar. Well, let's keep going then. Chapter 5. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, we have no need that I should write to you, right? Now he's saying that again. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but obtained salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep... We should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. All right, now, this is basically putting together what he started in chapter 4, verse 13. All this goes together. Here's what's going to happen for those who died and those of us who are still alive when Christ comes. In the meantime, now, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, this is what we need to do as God's people, right? And so he uses the the thief imagery, which um, uh, I'm sure is probably familiar to most, if not all, of us here. Uh, another very um, well known part of First Thessalonians. Um, but as I said when I preached through this, the the image of the thief here is not silence. Okay, you know the, the whole idea of the rapture and you know dispensationalism and all those ideas that they, they communicate is the idea of silence, right? You're going to be driving down the road and all of a sudden, boom, the, the electric are going to be gone or something like that. That's not the image of thief. The image of thief is not silence. The image of thief here is unexpectedness. It might be extremely loud. In fact, Paul said at the end of chapter 4, there's going to be a very loud trumpet when all this happens. So the idea of thief here is not communicating silence, it's communicating unexpectedness. So remember what Jesus taught in Matthew 24 and 25 for example. Hey, be ready. Don't be like those virgins who don't have their wine, or their oil I should say, uh, for their wicks and they had to go get some and then Jesus came in the meantime uh, is the idea there. Don't be like that. Be ready. Be alert. Be in the day. Don't be drunk whether literally or not. Okay? And so Be ready for Christ's coming uh, whenever it happens. But be godly. Don't sit around and wait. So he's communicating both of those ideas. All right, now the last part, verse 12. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves." Now we exhort your brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not prof- despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Obviously, there's all kinds of exhortations here in this section. Um, Verses 16 and 17, probably the most familiar to us uh, uh, of all of these. Uh, The unruly there in verse 14 uh, connects us back to chapter 4, where people were sitting around waiting for Christ's coming and not um, being godly as they wait. So anyway, a bunch of exhortations must have been very fitting for what was needed there in Thessalonica. And now the end. Verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Notice how that summarizes chapters 4 and 5. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Read all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And So here's the benediction with a few other uh, exhortations thrown in there. All right, obviously the point here is not so much to look at the content, though I have talked about it, obviously. But just to get a sense of reading a, a whole letter. And I suspect for m- most of us, we tend not to do that. We tend to just read a portion. And um, that's okay as long as we have the whole thing in mind. Uh, and then we're going to understand it better. And uh, I picked this one just uh, in part because I preached on it not that long ago. And we just talked about it in Acts 17. Uh but regardless of that, we clearly see connections from Acts 17 to what we see here. Uh, in other letters, it's not so obvious, but this one it is. And so that's why I picked it for us uh, here in this setting. Okay, <clears throat> comments, questions? Questions? relatively easy because it's a story. But it has things we need to keep in mind. Epistles are relatively easy because it's one person writing a letter to somebody else. It's very personal, very story-like even. Uh, but it too has its challenges, especially to try to understand maybe what Paul is actually saying and meaning in a particular verse or section. Uh, but these these genres are... Um, I don't know if straightforward is the right way of putting it but they're not as complex as apocryphal um, and um, the apocalyptic kind of ideas uh, and prophecies those can be a lot more more challenging all right any any comments or questions here about this yeah Yeah, how many times have people predicted the end in Christ's coming just in the last century? (laughs) And those who believe those predictions tend to just sit around and wait. And um, the the rapture view that says that we're going to be raptured before the tribulation also tends to lead to apathy. I've heard people say, things are supposed to get worse and um, so we're not going to try to stop it by being salt and light because that means Jesus is going to come back sooner so they, it leads to apathy in that way so I think there's a variety of ways that people will do that um, and it is um, I guess maybe tempting um, to, to believe those things but um, there's no question in my mind that, that we're on a downward trajectory in our culture, and, and we're going to hit bottom at some point, and it's going to be really hard for us in our country as Christians. Um, when exactly we're going to hit that point, time will tell, but we're definitely headed in that direction. God may change that direction through a reformation and so forth, um, but ba- based on the tra- trajectory that we currently are seeing, it's definitely going downhill. Now, does that mean it's the end and Christ is going to come back? I don't know. Um, I'm inclined to think that we're getting to that point just because of the the global emphasis in the book of Revelation and other passages about the end. Uh, we have uh, Satan's parody of, of God's kingdom in a way today that we've never seen in the history of the world. Um... And uh, um, it leads me to be of the mind that this may very well be the last big tribulation before his return. We don't know. I'm not going to predict anything, (laughs) you know, but um, I'm inclined to think that way. But regardless, we need to be ready, you know, whenever it's going to happen not be apathetic Well, you clearly see um, an effort to convince those in positions of leadership to believe in Jesus. We'll see here in Acts Paul's real effort with Felix and Festus and so forth um, to to come to faith and therefore to to rule biblically. Um, We don't see Paul... When he gets to Jerusalem, joining with the zealots, because I mean, within ten years of Paul's arrest in Jerusalem, Rome had taken over Jerusalem, um, and we don't see him joining with them. Um, now, how does that impact things such as our own country with uh, the Revolutionary War and, and even the Civil War and so forth? You know, when does that kind of behavior become justified um and that's a hard question to answer but um clearly in the New Testament we see an emphasis on using spiritual things to to change culture and government and, and and so forth um so um I am of the mindset that um, force can be justified but only in very specific situations Um, we talk about a just war but I'm not sure there have been too many just wars in the last century or so (laughs) Um, And um, um, certainly the spiritual battle is what's most important Um, but maybe the other will become necessary too Right now, I think we are in a civil war in our country, but it's a war of words at this point. We are starting to see the violence with you know these these far left groups, especially. There are some far right groups, but it's like less than five percent of all the violence is done by far right groups right now. And it's almost all leftist groups. Um, but in the end, they're not that much different in their worldview. <laughs> Left or right extremists. Um, so, um, I mean, they've they've told us. I mean, literally within a day or two after Trump won, they said it's time to resist, and that's what they've been doing. Uh, quite obviously, even the thing on Thursday was an f uh, an example of resistance against Trump in this town hall thing. Um, but. They've also warned us that if Trump wins, they're going to do a whole lot more than is happening right now. Um, and I, I just see this all as an example of, of the place where, we're, where we are. Are we really going to follow biblical ideas of governance, or are we going to follow the Marxist ideas of governance? And, and that's the battle right now. Um, whether you call it left or right... Uh, kind of a misnomer in some ways um, and um, we'll, we'll you know we'll see what it brings but it, you know we might have to have these conversations very specifically uh, in in a short time we'll see uh, all right well we're getting off into some other important questions but uh That's the second bell already. Okay. Well, what I intend to do here uh, next is uh, to to go away from genre for a moment and look at some other things that we need to keep in mind in regard to uh, interpreting scriptures, and that is figures of speech. And figures of speech, um, in some ways, can be the most misunderstood things is what is the figure that is speaking to us? How should we interpret it? And people can go in all kinds of directions, especially when we're using a figure that is maybe not as familiar to us or like is common today as very different than the meaning of the word. So when Michael Jackson said, I'm bad, he obviously didn't mean what we normally think of bad. It's a figure of speech, and he means something different by normal evil, you know, and what we'd associate with the term. So uh, this can be um, very challenging to make sure that we get the right interpretation of the image. So anyway, that's where I intend to go um, here starting next time until Eric tells me to quit and somebody else starts teaching. So, (laughs) all right, let's pray together. Our Father, and God, we thank you for your word and uh, that you have uh, made yourself known to us. Uh, we are thankful, Lord, that you have, um, in essence, sent us 66 letters um, from you to us, and uh, uh, your care for us is, is even greater than Paul's care for the Thessalonians, and uh, your desire to come to us is even greater than Paul's. We thank you for this and uh, Lord as we do wait your return, as we do uh, try to understand the signs of the times, as we tr- do try to live as your people, as, as we wait for your coming, uh, please give us wisdom not to become apathetic and indifferent um, thinking you might come tomorrow uh, but also not apathetic and indifferent because it's been so long since you've come the first time. Give us wisdom, Lord, to 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 live in the culture in which we live, and uh, the things that we face, and uh, that we would be honoring to you and in it all. To know when to to stand on what is true and push back, and when to um, roll with the punches, as it were. And uh, Lord, we just uh, pray for your mercies. We pray for your mercies here with the the election not just for the president but in all levels of government uh, here in in a couple weeks or so and uh, that you would be merciful to our land and that you would um, bring about justice and righteousness and so we pray all these things and ask by your spirit that you would strengthen us to worship now as your people and we pray in Jesus name amen